half. And we're going to be looking at that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 15. All these things are for your sakes, so that the abundant grace through the thanksgiving of many might overflow to the glory of God. The overflow of the Christian life. Years ago, I heard the great preacher and writer Warren Risby make a statement in a sermon that he preached to preachers, and there were thousands of them in the audience. And he made a statement I've never forgotten. He said, you cannot preach from the undertow, but from the overflow of a godly life. The undertow were the things that he described as the emotions that constantly assail us and threaten us in our effort to preach the Word of God in sincerity and to speak the truth in love. Uh, The undertow, the undercurrents of anger, hostility, bitterness, resentment, perhaps the biggest threat of all, pride. The undertow is always there. Maybe you've had the misfortune of sitting in an audience one day and listen to a preacher preach who was angry, and you knew he was angry. That's the undertow. And it's deadly. It is deadly to the effectiveness of the ministry of the Word of God. By contrast, the overflow is the work of the Spirit of God. When a message that God has worked into our hearts then simply overflows and flows out of us as God is empowering His Word to us, the undertow or the overflow. That's not just a message for preachers. Jesus said in John chapter 7 and verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, notice that, he who believes in me. Are you a believer? He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living waters. That is the overflow of the Spirit-filled life. And it is promised to every person who is a believer in Jesus Christ. And so as much as I would put it before preachers, and I have for many, many years, uh, that challenge to preach always from the overflow and not the undertow, so I can say to you this morning as individual believers in Christ, You have a choice to make. You can live your life with the undertow, or you can live your life from the overflow. And I think we all can see that the undertow is always there. It's not ever going to go away. There's always the potential, the possibility for us to get drawn into, tugged down. We feel that current. Something is pulling at us. We're wanting to go this way. We're wanting to go in a positive direction. We're wanting to be uh, up front and, and out there doing things of God. But there's that undertow constantly pulling against us, drawing us away from the things of God. Paul wrote this letter of 2 Corinthians to a church that he started. Corinth was located in Greece. It was an extremely wicked city that would be comparable to Las Vegas or New Orleans and and, and that department of debauchery and just general uh, uh, wickedness and immorality. The city was full of brothels and and bars, and it was uh, worldwide, world-renowned as a place of 
uh, of terrible immorality. It's a great place for a church. Paul was there on his second trip when he wrote the book of Romans. If you'll read in Romans chapter 1 as he described the, the scenes of humanity and wrote the biography of humanity, he was seeing those scenes play out all around him in Corinth. And so Paul was able to describe those scenes very vividly as he pointed out in the book of Romans that the gospel that could save the religious Jews could also save the pagan Greeks living in horrible immorality. And the reason is simply described in Romans chapter 3, for there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We may have the idea that the gospel is for good people, for religious people. And, and uh, you know, if you're good and you're a good person, then you'll be saved and go to heaven. A lot of people then think about those who are in wickedness, those who are living in horrible conditions of life and, and living under the power of, of substance abuse and, and terrible addictions. And, and we see them, we say, oh, those people need the gospel. They need to be saved. But the fact is that good people need to get saved. Bad people need to get saved. Uh, addicts need to be saved. Religious people need to be saved. I've always said that even Baptists need to be saved. And that happens to a lot more Baptists than uh, we like to think about sometimes. You can be a good religious person and yet still be lost. Paul then says that the same God is rich to all who call upon Him. Why? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus settled that for us very well and very vividly in John chapter 8 when a crowd of people, religious people, brought to Him a woman who had been caught in the very act of committing adultery against her husband. The law of Moses commanded her to be stoned. And they brought her to Jesus where he was teaching in the temple, in the temple, yes, in the temple, and said, Moses commanded her to be stoned, but what do you say? Well, Jesus didn't answer right away. The Bible says he stooped down and wrote on the ground, but when they kept pressing him, he finally stood up and made a simple statement. He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And beginning at the eldest, the Bible says, all the way down to the youngest, and I've always marveled at that. Why were the oldest the first to go? Why were the youngest the last to go? Can't answer that question. I can only tell you that's what the Bible says. The mob broke up in a hurry because no one met that criteria. No one meets it today. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the same God is rich to all who would call upon Him. And that means that right where you are today, you can bow your head and you can confess to God, yes, God, I'm a sinner and I know it. I need to be saved and I know it. I know that you died on the cross for my sins. And Lord, I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins and be my Savior. And you believe in Him. You call upon Him. And you're going to find out that God is rich toward you. Regardless of your background, regardless of who you are, regardless of where you've been or what you've done, the same God 
give salvation to all who would call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So when we think about uh, Paul and the establishment of this principle in 2 Corinthians about the overflow of the Christian life, and how this was not set in some monastery scene somewhere. It was not set in a Sunday morning church crowd, but it was set in the midst of people who were living in a horrible, horrible, evil, godless place. I mean, this is like Bourbon Street in New Orleans, like the Strip in Las Vegas. This is a horrible place. But he talks to them about how they could live in the overflow of a godly life because God shines in their heart because they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, part of this passage is completely biographical because Paul is talking about his own experiences, yet he includes his audience with them, and he writes it down for us to see, and so it reaches out certainly in some way to all of us today, and there's a couple of things that he does. First of all, by looking at this passage, we can see that Paul himself was not immune uh, from suffering and difficulty. Look at what he says in verse 11. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. You see, one of the big issues that Paul faced was, uh, from his critics was that Paul is such a great man and such a great Christian, uh, then why are all these bad things happening to him? Uh, we've always see, tended to believe that it, there's some perks to the Christian life. And if you live a Christian life, you live a godly life, and you serve Jesus and you're faithful, then, uh, uh, you know, things are going to go right, right for you. And so Paul was being bombarded. If Paul's such a great man, such a great apostle, such a great servant of God, why is he thrown in jail all the time? Why is he being beaten? Why is he being persecuted? Why do so many people hate him? Why is he sick all the time? Why is he struggling the way that he struggles? Paul was plagued by health issues, dogged by critics, and persecuted by the Jews and the Romans alike. And so he wanted us to know, even after all these many centuries, that Paul the apostle was not immune. Though he was faithful, though he was dedicated, though he was committed to God, though he was doing God's work, he was not immune from suffering and difficulties. And the second way that this applies to us is that Paul was including his audience. That is, he repeatedly says, we, 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 us, we, this is happening to we. Because Paul knew that as he was experiencing difficulty, so were they. As he was experiencing persecution, so were they. As he was being talked bad about, so were they. As he was being mocked, so were the people he was writing to. And so it still goes on today. Suffering and difficulty are part of our life. But the question is the same. Are we going to allow our difficulties to dominate and define our life so that we live out of the undertow? Or will the grace of God dominate and define our lives so that we live out of the overflow? The undertow of the flesh 
or the overflow of the Spirit. That's our choice. Undertow of the flesh. Overflow of grace and Spirit. Let's look at our text again, verse 15. All these things are for your sake, so that the abundant grace through the thanksgiving of many might overflow to the glory of God. Notice that all these things in verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. We add dying to the list because he said it in verse 10 in the passage we read just a moment or two ago. We are always bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus so that the life also of Jesus might be manifested in you. Troubled, perplexed, persecuted, cast down, dying. Your list might look different. Maybe you've noticed that struggle seems to come in clusters at times. There's a death in the family, then somebody gets sick. There's a financial setback or an unexpected bill coming due. You go to work one day and you have a problem at work. Big blow up. You come home and lo and behold, your spouse is upset with you. And you don't even know why. The dog has gotten the trash. The car won't start. And the only overflow you feel is from the washing machine that's ruining your hardwood floors because it overflowed. Uh, after I got up this morning, and I always get up early and uh, uh, work on my PowerPoint and kind of go over my message, and I finished my PowerPoint up about 5, and I went to sleep. Went back to sleep. I was kind of sleepy. I said, I'm going to take a little nap before I go in, and I did. And I don't know, I'm not always able to go back to sleep sometimes, but sometimes I was. This morning I did, and I dreamed. I even remember what I dreamed because I dreamed it was because of this message. I dreamed that my bathroom and, and my bathtub was overflowing with water. Nancy was walking around the house with a mask on her face, and she could care less. I said, honey, what's going on? And I don't know, you know, and water just going everywhere. I went in there and started dipping it up, and I looked around. There was Brother Bill helping me dip it all up. I promise you, this is, this is happening. Thank you, Brother Bill, for coming and helping. You know, you say, what does that mean? It doesn't mean a thing. But you know, you know what it's like when it seems that troubles come all together sometimes in a cluster. And that's what Paul was describing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Sometimes it's ordinary things. Other times it's huge and catastrophic things. Sometimes it's one thing that's catastrophic. But you know, the fact that there's one thing here to deal with doesn't mean that there still aren't bills to be paid and, and other things that happen, cars that's breaking down. And other, here's this big thing. You'd think that would be enough. But no, all the other things tend to go along as well. Undertow or overflow. When we go through these things and allow these things to pull at our flesh and we respond in the flesh, or do we respond with the overflow? There's three things that are mentioned in our text that tell us how to live our life in the overflow. And the first one is, of course, the abundant grace. Uh, verse 15, all these things are for your sake so that the abundant grace, the abundant grace... Later on in this same uh, book, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. My grace 
is sufficient for thee. 2 Corinthians 12 is that famous passage where Paul was afflicted with a thorn in the flesh. He called the messenger of Satan. We don't know what it was. Uh, But he was struggling with it. And three times he asked God to remove it for him. And three times God gave him the same response. My grace is sufficient for you. Uh, This was much more than just a personal battle because he was under satanic attack, the messenger of Satan. He knew that God could stop it. God didn't stop it. He instead promised that His grace would be sufficient to get Him through it. God could stop it, but He didn't. His grace got Him through it. Aren't you glad this morning that God's grace is abundant? The abundant grace of God. It's not like Paul wrote the first part of this book later, and then he had the thorn in the flesh experience, and then he wrote the letter. I mean, when he wrote uh, this passage in in, in chapter 4, he had already gone through what he writes about in chapter 12. It's no wonder then when you think about that, that Paul was talking about the abundant grace of God, the abundant grace of God. Every problem, every difficulty, every trial will present us in with a choice. I can either respond to this in the flesh or I can respond to it in the grace of God, knowing that God has an abundant supply. And that means we can ask for it anytime we need it. And we can have it if we'll receive it. Paul said, my, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. But Paul still had to receive that grace. You understand what I'm saying? He could have said, no, it's not sufficient. I, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get my tweezers out and go to picking at that. My grace is sufficient. It was available if it would be received. If we're going to have any hope then of living life in the overflow, we're going to have to get serious about the grace of God, our need for it, and the incredible supply of it. We need to learn how to pray for grace in that moment of frustration. We need to learn how to pray for grace in that moment of temptation. We need to learn how to pray for grace in the midst of that struggle. We need to learn how to pray for grace when we find ourselves uh, bound up in a trial. In that moment when we sin the undertow that is pulling us down and a bad attitude is growing in my heart and in my life that's a time for us to say and it, we don't even have to say it all we need is to think it oh God I need your grace God's grace is abundant <laughs> abundant we're not ever going to deplete the supply it is abundant Where sin abounds, the Bible says, grace doth much more abound. It's not just to squeak out a victory, 15 to 14. No, no. God's grace is abundant. Where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. So if we're going to live in the overflow We need to learn to seek God's grace and receive God's grace because we need it. 
And then the second thing is, is the thanksgiving. All these things are for your sake, so that the abundant grace through the thanksgiving of many. Instead of the undertow then, we need the grace of God, but we also need to practice thanksgiving. The giving of thanks is an often neglected spiritual discipline. If we were going to name the things that we most need in life, the need to be more thankful probably wouldn't make our top five and maybe not even our top ten. Even if we were going to ask for the things of a spiritual nature that we think we need the most, Thanksgiving probably would not be anywhere close to being at the top of our list. We might say, well, you know, I need to quit this habit. I need to be able to control my tongue. I need to watch what I'm saying. I I, I need to deal with my anger. I, I need more patience. I need more strength. But I need to be more thankful. Few of us ever get to that point. I think maybe that's one of the reasons why the Spirit of God put this message on my heart today is so I would remind myself and all of you of how important it is to give thanks to God. You see, the opposite of thanksgiving is complaining, griping, a constant state of dissatisfaction of being impossible to please, And there is an epidemic of this in America today, and that started long before our current uh, COVID-19 epidemic. We've all watched the growth of a sense of entitlement in America today. Um, People would never know it, but they're actually living out prophecies of the Bible that warn that people in the last days would be both unthankful and unholy. Because yes, those two things are almost always found together. And being unthankful comes first. If we stop being thankful to God for our life, for our health, for the good blessings that we have, for the opportunity that we have to be alive, if we stop being thankful to God, then it's a short trip for us to claim all of these things for ourselves. When Paul wrote the biography of humanity in Romans chapter 1, he started with the fact that men did not glorify God, neither were thankful. It's impossible for me today to overemphasize our need to give thanks. You want a better relationship with your spouse? Start by thanking God for your husband or for your wife. And then start thanking them every now and then for the things that they do. Thank God for your job, and you'll have a better attitude when you go to work. Thank God for your house, and you won't mind so much when you have to clean it up for the third or fourth time today. Thank God for your clothes, and you won't mind doing laundry. I have been in parts of the world where people didn't do laundry because all they had literally was the clothes that was on their back. Thank God for your clothes, and you won't mind doing laundry quite so much. Thank God for your kids, and that might be a little tough right now, but do it anyway. Thank God. Thank God for the blessings that He's brought into your life. It makes a practical difference then for us to be thankful. It affects the way that we look at things and and the way that we operate. It, It changes our attitude and our spirit when we can be thankful for the blessings that God has brought into our life. 
But it also makes a spiritual difference because thanksgiving brings us into line with the will of God. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, And everything give thanks. For this in everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Had that passage said, for everything give thanks, we might have had difficulty with that because a lot of things happen to us that we're not thankful for. But the Bible didn't say that. It said, in everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. When giving thanks is the last thing we feel like doing, it's probably the very thing we need to start doing. When our thanksgiving is depleted, we need to build it up and start thanking God for His blessings. If we're going to live then in the overflow instead of the undertow, number one, we need the grace of God. Number two, we need the practice of thanksgiving. And then there is the overflow of glory to God. What is the overflow? Overflow of glory to God. All these things are for your sake so that the abundant grace through the thanksgiving of many might overflow to the glory of God. Grace plus thanksgiving equals overflow. We might think that the overflow means that we'll go rushing right out of all of our trials, all our difficulties will be passed, and we'll be in a state of blessedness. It did not mean that always for the Apostle Paul, and it probably won't mean that for us either. The overflow does not necessarily challenge the change, rather the status of our life. The overflow does not necessarily change the status of our life. But it does change us into a person who can give glory to God. It doesn't mean that we'll be all walking around all the time, well, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Ain't God good? Ain't God good? God's so good. God's... No, we might not be saying that much. The overflow changes us into a life that gives God glory, and we might not even know it. Paul would bring up in this very passage, and you go back in chapter 3 and you'll see it, he would bring up the story about when Moses went on the mountain and he came down with his face glowing. And my favorite part of the story was when Moses' face was glowing and he didn't know it. They had to tell him his face was glowing. I mean, think about it. You got a smudge on your face. You don't know it. Somebody's got to tell you. Hey, like this. You know, you got some cheese dip in your beard. We don't know it. Moses' face was shining and he didn't know it. But then when he knew it, he put a veil on. And Paul said he didn't put a veil on to make things better for anybody. He put a veil on so that people wouldn't see that the glory was fading. It was a great thing when Moses' face was glowing and he didn't even know it. That's the overflow, folks. It is the overflow of a life that is abounding in grace and in thanksgiving. And God then is using you because you are a gracious person and you are a thanksgiving person. God is using you for His Spirit to flow out of you and you aren't even aware it's happening. Paul would write to the church at Philippi about this, and he would tell them in chapter 2 a very simple thing, do all things without murmuring and disputing, without complaining and arguing or bickering. 
instead of being arguing and complaining all the time, if you don't do that, he said, you'll be known as a children of light, the children of light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You will shine as lights, he said, if you'll just not be complaining and bickering all the time. Why is that? We live in a very self-absorbed, unhappy, dysfunctional, and dissatisfied population of people. You let somebody who is gracious and thankful and filled with the Spirit, turn them loose in that crowd. <laughs> they stand out, and they don't even know they're standing out. They're just living their life. They're living their life by the grace of God. They're living their life in thanksgiving. They're being thankful for all the things that God has done for them. They've got a good attitude. They've got a good spirit. They're, they're not living their life in the undertow or getting caught up in the undertow. Somebody comes along and tries to drag us into it. We just don't let them. <laughs> no, not going to go there. Not going to go there. That's the overflow life. If you'll read on in this chapter, you'll see that God has commanded the light to shine out of darkness. And it has shined in our hearts as believers in Jesus Christ. And while Moses had the glory that was fading away, that was the glory of the old covenant, we are had the glory of Jesus Christ in the new covenant, and it doesn't fade away. It is ever-increasing glory. Undertow or overflow. The undertow life or the overflow life. That's what's before us. Undertow is dangerous. If you've ever been caught in one, you know how dangerous it is. I went on a mission trip some years ago to Tana Island in the South Pacific. I, uh, we all went swimming in the ocean. They had no bathroom facilities, and uh, uh, that was our way, air, way to kind of clean up, and you just kind of swim around. The waves were crashing in, and... The kids were out there body surfing in the waves. Well, that looked fun to me. Every now and then, you know, you forget that you're an old man, and that looked fun. I decided I'd try it, but on the way out, I quickly realized I was in an undercurrent. I was caught in it. I was smart enough not to turn around and try to swim back. I had read about it. Don't ever try to swim against it. You swim away from it. And, and thankfully, by the grace of God, because I did ask him for help, uh, I was able to get out of that. And I never felt anything any better than feeling the sand under my feet. I mean, I, I was really despairing for life. I, I crawled out on the, on the beach and sat down. I was ashamed to tell anybody uh, that I nearly drowned. Uh, undertow is dangerous. You get caught in it, and it's hard to get out of it. Listen to me, dear people of God. You can get caught up in the undertow and you can literally let it drag you to the grave complaining and griping and unhappy and forever dissatisfied. It can happen to you. But the overflow is available. In the midst of any circumstances, any trial, any difficulty, even the ones that threaten our life, there's the abundant grace of God. Oh God, I need your grace. 
There is thanksgiving. Oh God, thank you for all that you've done. And that turns us into a person that is living out of the overflow, shining as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. One of the greatest things that can ever happen to us as a child of God is for somebody to come up to us and tell us, you know, you'll never know what an impact you had on my life. You didn't know that I was watching. You didn't know that something you said or did came to me at just that moment of time when I needed it the most. And God used it to change my life. You say, well, I've never had that testimony. Maybe you need to ask yourself, am I living in the overflow? Or am I living in the undertow? It all starts, you see, with God shining in our hearts. The God who spoke into the darkness and said, Light be is the same God who will save you if you call upon Him. And there you are in the darkness of your sin. You know you're there. You know you need Jesus Christ in your life. You're under conviction right now in your living room. You know it. God is drawing you to Himself. You need to receive Christ. You need to follow Him in baptism. You need a church home. You've been caught in this undertow for longer than you want to admit. And I want to tell you today that you can be a preacher and get caught in the undertow. You can be a spiritual leader and get caught in the undertow. Just because you can quote a a, a hundred or a thousand Bible verses doesn't mean that you can't get caught in the undertow. And it's powerful. It can suck you in. Before long, it's all about everything that's wrong and nothing that's right. We need God's grace. We need to be thankful. And when He has shined in our hearts to put the light of Jesus there, then we need to pray, God, please, let that light shine again in my life. No, you can't be saved again. But God can pick you up out of that undercurrent and put you in the overflow of a godly life.